Have you ever noticed how many people are preoccupied or how people are preoccupied with, with, with knowing things uh, ahead of time? I mean, you, you, watch the, you watch the nightly news or you look at your phone in order to get the weather forecast so you can make plans. And if Sue Cook was here, she would amen this morning. She doesn't like the weather prognosticators, as she says. It, don't you get frustrated whenever you, you go to the forecasters, you make plans, and then it, it totally doesn't turn out the way that they, that they anticipate? I mean, we want the inside scoop on, on companies, and so uh, before you buy stock or you invest in 401k, and so uh, there are magazines that, that try to tell you what's, what's coming, you you read some of the statistical data there so you can make good purchasing decisions. I mean, right now, our country's obsessed with, with polls. I mean, literally, every day there's a new poll. And, and they, they really haven't changed for, for how many ever months. And people are looking at the trends of, of the way that the presidential race is, is going. Some people even take the, the concept beyond things that, that may have some statistical validity, whether it's polls or, or reading Money Magazine and, and seeing how a company is doing. They, they take it into the realm such as, as fortune tellers or, or psychics. I didn't look up the, the amount of money that's spent on, on that type of nonsense every year, but, but it is millions and millions of dollars. Did you know statistics suggest that 25%, 25% of Americans check their horoscope on a regular basis. Are you ready for this? 20% of so-called Christians check their horoscopes on a regular basis. And sadly, ladies, you are double that of the national average. 45% of women in America check their horoscopes monthly. And one-third of them consult the stars before making major decisions, including financial ones. And by stars, I don't mean the ones in Hollywood. I mean the Zodiac. But we're far better than, than England. A hundred percent of people in England know their star sign. And I just thought about this. If someone would say to you, what's your sign? Do you know immediately what it is? See, they've been groomed. 100% in England know their signs. 70% in England read their horoscopes regularly. And 85% of people in England agree that the description of the zodiac of their birth sign describes their personality. Yes, he is. That's for sure. The obsession is, is not likely, uh, it's not just limited to the, to the weatherman or these occultist type of, of things. Um, you can see it coming into to the church as well. Many of you, all of you, I would, I would assume know and have heard and maybe probably even read about the Left Behind series that was published years ago by Tyndale with Tim LaHaye and Jerry Jenkins. 65 million copies of the Left Behind series sold. Now, I couldn't find the statistics of, of how much money the series produced, but you can do some quick math, and you're well over $650 million just on the books themselves. Seven out of the 16 books of the Left Behind series made the New York Times bestsellers. There were over 40 children's spinoff books 
from the Left Behind series, seven additional adult books by two different authors that took the concept and started writing on their own, three movies, even a video game. And in 1998, there was a musical collection inspired by the Left Behind series called People Get Ready. If you have ever skated in the La Haye Ice Center at Liberty or have enjoyed the Student Center, you've experienced that partly because of the Left Behind series, because Tim and Beverly La Haye took the resources from that and helped build those, those two buildings. Obviously, my point is people are interested in what's coming in the future. But sadly, most search in vain. There's only one who knows and declares the future, and that is God. Look at Isaiah 46, verses 8 through 10, one of many of the verses. It says, Remember this and stand firm. Recall to mind, you transgressors. Remember the former things of old, for I am God and there is no other. I am God and there is none like me declaring the end from the beginning. And from the ancient times, things not yet done, saying, My counsel shall stand, and I will accomplish my purpose. Everyone wants to know what's going to happen before it does. And yet, sadly, most people turn to a source other than the one that can really help them. Well, I've got good news for you this morning. Are you ready for some good news? I've got a book better than the Left Behind series, better than the horoscopes, better than Discovery Channel's series on Nostradamus. It's called the Book of the Revelation. And that's what we're starting this morning. We're going to walk through its pages and we're going to see how not just how it all ends, but how it begins. So if you're not there, and if I duped you by putting Isaiah up there and you turn to Isaiah, turn to the book of the Revelation, chapter 1, and we're going to read verses 1 through 3. We're going to introduce the book this morning. I have no idea how many sermons it will take to get through it, but I am pumped to begin the series, as I know many of you are as well. Revelation chapter 1. Verses 1 through 3. Here is the prologue, the introduction to this great book. It says, The revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave to him to show his servants the things which must shortly take place. And he sent and signified it by his angel to his servant John. I'm reading verse 2 now who bore witness to the testimony of the Word of God and to the testimony of Jesus Christ to all things that he saw. And pay close attention to this. Blessed is he who reads and those who hear the words of this prophecy and keep those things which are written therein, for the time is near. You believe that? The entire Bible reveals God's redemptive plan. The entire Bible reveals, just like the book of the Revelation claims. But the Revelation is special because it is the final chapter. And in the book of the Revelation, God unveils the future history of the world. He unveils the return of Jesus Christ. The setting up of Christ's earthly kingdom. And the whole book ends with the eternal kingdom 
i.e. heaven. And it's a, it's a reality. It's a reality that's, that's not really an ending. We call it the, the end times. It's not really an ending, but it's a beginning, really. It's the beginning for, the, for eternity for every human being. You know, we use those terms all the time and we, when we go uh, to a funeral. We talk about the end. We feel like it's an end. That's not an end. That's a beginning. I mean, there's far more than what you experience here on earth, how many ever years that you have lived. In John... The revelator, the one who reveals, the one who has this, this text revealed to him through the Lord Jesus Christ, sets a platform in these first three verses, and he begins the book. And I'm going to show you how the book is structured, and we're going to see that in, in this this morning. So, if I was just trying to, to, to give you an outline of the first three verses here, I would say there are three curtain cords on the apostolic stage. God is going to unveil, He's going to pull back the veil, which is what the word revelation means. And he's going to, to show us what's happening now, what will happen, and then He's going to show us the whatever will be new. So you've got the revealing title in verse 1, the revelation of Jesus Christ. You have the reliable transmission. It came to John through an angel that we'll see. And then there's the promised benefit of studying the book. And so, if you look at these first three verses, you've got what is revealed, that's in verse 1. You've got how it was revealed, how the book of the Revelation was revealed, and then you've got why you should study it. You have what, how, and why. Those three questions answered in the first three verses. Pay attention to introductions. They're packed full of, of information. Let's look at the revealing title. This very first verse tells us about the contents. Look at verse 1. It says, the revelation, now pay attention, of Jesus Christ, which God gave to Him to show His servants, that's you and me in the church, things which must shortly take place. Now notice in that first verse, there's the revelation of Jesus Christ and then at the end of verse 1, it's the things which must shortly take place or soon take place. There is a revelation, there's an unveiling where we get the term apocalypse. It's from the Greek word that, that sounds just like it, which means to unveil, to pull back. And there's also a foretelling in the book of Revelation. If you think Revelation is just about, about prophecy, you're only part right. Revelation is about an unveiling. It it's, it's, gives us the ability to see the unseen of what's even happening right now and what was happening in the day that John wrote the book through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. But it also tells about prophecy. It's a foretelling of history before history takes place. The revelation of, of Jesus Christ. Revelation. Apocalypsis. It's concerning the things which must soon take place is the prophecy. Now, the, the word revelation means to become visible. It's to reveal, right? It mean, makes perfect sense. You're going to reveal something. Revelation. Revelation. So you have the unveiling or disclosure of what is unseen. Eighteen times the book uses this word. It's the title of the book because it starts right here with that term, the revelation of Jesus Christ. 
And the word means, revelation means to unveil and make visible the unseen things that are going on in which the church is engaged. And the church, as you're going to see when we get into the book, needs to see the unseen. Needs to understand exactly where it's at in history and what God is doing and what God has promised to do. The revelation of Jesus Christ is to show us what's really happening in the world so the church can, can see it. Now, again, I think you can think of the millions of dollars, thousands of hours of people trying to guess what's really going on. Again, you just have to turn the TV on and look at all of the an- analysis dedicated. You get a two-hour presidential debate, and there's six hours of commentary that goes until 3 o'clock in the morning talking about everything from Donald Trump's hair to how Bernie Sanders responded to whatever question it was that he forgot he was even being asked, Right? You get the inside scoop, is what they claim. Revelation is not an expert opinion. Everybody's an expert opinion. You have the Republican strategist that served in the whatever White House during the Nixon years. And then you've got the, the Democratic strategist. This is not, Revelation is not expert opinion. Why are they telling you that about those individuals? Because they want you to believe whoever this person is, they're an expert. And so their opinion carries weight. The book of Revelation, the revelation of Jesus Christ is not expert opinion. It's a divine disclosure of what is taking place and what will take place. And that's the prophecy part. You can see it at the end of verse 1. There's the revelation. There's the unveiling of Jesus Christ. What's he going to unveil partially? What will shortly take place in verse 1? But look at the end or look at verse 3, the middle of verse 3. Blessed is he who reads and those who hear the words of This prophecy uses the word prophecy there in the introduction. It's the the foretelling of future events. Now, some people, when they think prophecy or the foretelling of future events, they think think psychic or, as as I said, a more sophisticated predictor like Nostradamus. These people are people who claim to see into the future. But if you ever listen to them, they speak in riddles or some shrouded assertion. If you go back to uh, and read history of what's happening in Corinth with the speaking of tongues going on there, there's influence from the oracle of Delphi speaking in some type of riddle or ecstatic babble. And the Christians were picking up this pagan usage over in, over in Corinth. The oracle at Delphi would speak in a riddle, and it would be an enigma. It would be something that, that kind of hit it, but didn't hit it. So when you stood back and listened, you thought, wow. Have you ever listened to somebody speak, and they're, they're, they speak in such complicated terms that they sound educated, but when you walk away, you realize that you have no idea what they said, and they really didn't say anything at all? It, it's more difficult to preach to three-year-olds or five-year-olds than it is to preach to you guys because you all understand abstract things and there's nuance there. And sometimes you fall asleep and sometimes you wake up. A five-year-old, you got to hold their attention. you got to be able to communicate it in a very crystal clear kind of way. And so people who foretell future events usually speak that way. How good are they? Well, you can just look at our former neighbor who used to reside in the Womack house and you can see how good the psychics are, right? They're not there any longer. When you read or listen to them, it's kind of like reading a fortune cookie. Have you ever read a fortune cookie? Today, 
you will meet a tall, dark stranger. And the rest of the day, you're looking for the tall, dark stranger. If you look hard enough, you'll find whatever they say. It's not specific. It's general. It hits the majority. And sometimes people even put those things in their mind. That's not what God means about the words of this prophecy or what must shortly take place. Prophecy is what must take place, what will take place, and what is declared beforehand, exactly, accurately. Did you know a prophet, I know you know this, but a prophet in the Old Testament had to have it right 100% of the time or he was stoned to death. And there's not a single prophecy that God ever makes in the Bible that is some wonderful, uh, uh, confusing thing where you stand back and go, wow, I, I think that happened. It's specific, it's accurate, it's declared beforehand, it's precise, it's foretelling exactly what will come to pass. It's a divine look into the, into the future that declares history. The movie everybody was, was talking about not long ago was Back to the Future because the date that was in the little DeLorean there came up, Back to the Future. Well, prophecy is a look into the future that declares history. It's not... This may happen depending upon what human beings are going to do. This is what will happen. It's a, it's a foretelling of history. And while it may be described in visions or symbols, there's, in, in prophecy, God's prophecy, there's no grading on the curve. True biblical prophecy is not like a 60% chance of rain. <laughs> It's not like the best three out of five predictions. Wow, God hit three out of five predictions in the Old Testament about Jesus. We better pay attention to Jesus. That's not biblical prophecy. God's pretty close, so we ought to pay attention to it. In prophecy, God is foretelling what must take place. Don't you hear that? Even in the book of Acts, about the Son of Man coming and Jesus dying. He died according to the predetermined plan of God. It's what must take place. What you're going to read, what we're going to see in the book of Revelation, is what must take place. It will take place. God has planned the universe. And it will take place because He controls the future and He knows all things. Therefore, He foresees and He proclaims. So, first of all, I think that what you need to think about when you approach the book of Revelation, if you think end times and charts and otherwise, some of those may be good, but I want you to be thinking, God wants you to be thinking, based upon this introduction, two things, unveiling and foretelling. He's going to show the unseen things that are happening in the world, that the church is functioning in the midst of the, of the world. He wants the church to know the spiritual forces that are at play and what's happening, the unveiling and then also the foretelling. And when we get to point three, I'll show you why. Why that's important, why there's blessing in that. It's not just the future, but it's your future. Now think about applying what he says here in verse one. The revelation of Jesus Christ concerning things which must shortly take place, or the words of this, this prophecy. If God can unveil the spiritual realm which can't be seen, and He can foretell what will take place, what must take place, with absolute accurate accuracy, 
What do you think God can do with your life? How are the unseen parts of your life going? I mean, if God can see the unseen world, don't you think He sees into your heart and in your life and the places that no one else sees? You better believe He does. And He can see the unseen or the hidden sin that's there. And He can see the hurting that's there. If He can foretell the future and ensure it comes to pass, isn't He powerful enough to change whatever that is that's unseen in your life through the Lord Jesus Christ? You better believe He can. Now think about this. If He cares enough to give to His church a revelation beforehand, don't you think He cares enough about you? He does. And so He's given us a dependable message in this book so we can know and prepare. So here's the second point. There's a reliable transmission. Boy, these first three verses are packed. The revelation of Jesus Christ. There's the unveiling of what will shortly take place. There's the prophet, the, the prophecy, the foretelling. And then look at the rest of verse 1. And he sent and signified it by his angel to his servant John who bore witness to the Word of God and the testimony of Jesus Christ to all the things that he saw. What's coming? A revelation. Who is it communicated to? Is it trustworthy? Is it reliable? Yes, it it is. We received the book of the Revelation. There's a divine author, there's a trustworthy source, and then there's a tested servant. And that's what we're going to see in the end of verse 1 and, and verse 2, the divine author is God. It's the revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave to him. That's to Christ. There's the divine author in verse 1. It was signified or transmitted by his angel. There's his trustworthy source, his messenger, God's messenger. Notice it's his angel. It's God's angel. And then notice it comes to his servant, John who bore witness to the Word of God and the testimony of Jesus Christ. There's a tested servant there. Now, I want you to notice this is fascinating. I know this is small, but pay attention. Because watch this this progression of reliability of how he says to us, before we ever get into Revelation, how we got it. It's from God the Father, the revelation of Jesus Christ which God gave. It's given to him. Who's him? That's not John should be capitalized in your Bibles because it's given to Jesus Christ. It was given to us to show His servants to the church the things which must soon take place. It's for us. The book of Revelation is for the church. Special. What a blessing. And it was made known to His servant, John, who was a proven faithful witness. You see that progression of reliability? God's trying to emphasize something there. Let's look at this divine author. There's a divine author. It says God gave the message of revelation to Jesus Christ. Now, you've got inter-Trinitarian play going on here. There's, there's the first and second part of the Trinity spoken of in the very first verse of Revelation. You're going to see the whole Trinity as the book begins to unfold. But you kind of see the same thing like you found in Genesis 1.26. We sang a song about the image of God this morning. Let us make man in our image. You see the same thing in the Gospels where Jesus 
is praying to the Father. Both are God. The Trinity is, is involved. Jesus is God. He and the Father are one. But in redemption, there are three persons of the Godhead that each play a distinct role. And you've heard this before. The Father sent the Son to be the Savior of the world. The Father planned your salvation. And Jesus cried from the cross, it is accomplished, it's finished. That's what to tetelestai means. The Father planned your salvation, the Son accomplished the salvation. He went to the cross, to the tomb, and rose from the dead. And then the Holy Spirit of God applies that salvation. The Father plans it, the Son accomplishes it, and the Spirit applies it. But all three are God. And they each have a role to play in redemption. And in the book of the Revelation, Jesus Christ is the one revealed... Look at verse 1, the revelation of Jesus Christ. He's the one revealed, but he's also the revealer. The revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him. He's the one that John sees in just a few verses and falls before like a dead man. And he's the one who brings this message to his servant and to the seven churches. He's the one revealed, and He's the revealer. He, he's the Lion of the tribe of Judah. He's the Lamb of God. He's the Word of God. It's all going to be revealed in the book of the Revelation. And He is the one who walks among the lampstands and speaks to His churches. Jesus says, write this to the seven churches that we're, we're going to see. I think a, a really good way to think about it is this. Have you ever listened to, to an audio book read by its own author? Well, think of Revelation as an audio book read by Jesus Christ. And yet the book is a complete autobiography. And it was written before the man ever died. I mean, he's foretelling future events that haven't taken place yet. Jesus is the one revealed. And he's also the revealer. Now, how's Revelation structured? There's a prologue. So what we're looking at, look at verses 1 through 3. The introduction tells us what the book's about, how we got the book, and in verse 3, we're going to see in just a minute why we should study it. The blessings that are there. There are actually seven blessings in the book of Revelation for those who pay attention to the book that we'll go over at some point. And then in verse 4, you've got John to the, to the seven churches. Verses 1 through 8 is all the prologue. It's, it's the introduction to the book. And then, John is told to write down the things that, that are. That's in verses 9 of chapter 1, all the way through the end of chapter 3. Now, that's the letters of the seven churches. We've preached some of those. We'll preach through, through all of them. But you've got this introduction that sets the book up, the prologue, and then... We find the things that are. The things that are going on right now in the world. God pulls back the, the curtain and allows the church to see the unseen things. Because the church is in the midst of the world. Now think about that. You're the church of Jesus Christ. And you're in the world, but you're not of the world. And yet we walk by faith, not by sight. We are called to persevere. We're called to make decisions. We're called to live our lives in ways that don't make sense to what you see around you. 
What you see around you can cause fear and anxiety. And yet God pulls back the curtain and says, let me show you what's really going on. Let me show you what is going to take place. Let me show you what is taking place. And so he writes to the seven churches and to us the things that that are. Then you have the beginning. Oh, what a blessed, blessed. I can't wait to get to chapter 4 and chapter 5. You see into the throne room of God. The title deed of the universe is handed over. You know the passage that we read where John looks into heaven and he's looking for somebody who's found worthy and none are found worthy. And he says, weep not. For behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah has prevailed. He is worthy. And we're going to see that transition from the things that are to the things that will take place after. And after you see in chapter 4 and chapter 5 the throne room, then you roll into the, the seals and the trumpets and the bowls and the judgments that will be poured out upon the earth. The things that shall take place after, that haven't taken place yet. They haven't taken place in the moment and the time in which John is receiving this message from the angel. John understood what was going on in the, in the seven churches. He knew the seven churches. He wasn't far from the seven churches. You went on the TCS trip, senior trip last year. We went to the cave of John the Baptist where revelation was given. And we took a boat ride from Ephesus to get there. And there's a letter written to Ephesus. John knew exactly who those churches were. And he probably knew what was going on in the majority of those churches. But he gets to see the things which will take place that he's never seen before. The things that will take place after. And that, as you can see, chapter 4 through chapter 22, there's a lot there. And you can pray for me to try to figure out how to break all that up so you'll want to pay attention to it. And then, if that wasn't enough, you come to all things new. Chapter 21 and chapter 22. The great white throne judgment that leads into the new heavens and the new earth. The end of of the things that shall take place after this. The Armageddon, the earthly kingdom of Christ set up. But the end is not what the Jews are looking for. It's not just the millennial kingdom. It's not just... It's not just heaven on earth. It's, it's a new heaven and a new earth that you and, and I are going to be part of. All things new. Doesn't have a good, good ring to it. I mean, all right, confession time. We've already started playing Christmas music in our house. I love Christmas. I love the decorations. And you know, it's kind of a downer when you get out of Christmas because it's like the holiday's over and then you remember You've got New Year's. And, of course, if you're a football fan, that means bowl season and all of that. But you know one of the things I love about New Year's? Not the New Year's resolutions that I'm going to lose 10 pounds that I never lose. It's that there's this feeling of a new start. It's new. It's a new calendar. It's a new year. Now, I forget, like you, and write my checks 2015 rather than 2016, and I'm reminded that it's new. Every morning, I'm reminded that it's a... The new day, aren't you? Don't don't you live sometimes where you just? I, I'm looking forward for this day to end, so tomorrow can start, and it's a, and it's a new day. 
You know, the Bible says that God's mercies are new every morning. That doesn't mean that, that, that he, he gets new mercies. It just means it's trying to communicate to us it's a never-ending supply. There's coming, no matter how bad your world is, no matter how bad your life is, no matter how bad your circumstances are, there's coming a day when all things will be made new. Your body, your mind, your family, your life. And it will be perfect. And the Bible begins and ends in paradise. Perfect man in perfect relationship with God. No sin and no devil. Won't that be a wonderful thing? I can still remember Joe Hutchinson preaching. My pastor, the great white throne judgment, and I've shared this with you before. He says, I know this is just hypothetical, but you know at that great white throne, whenever when they're getting ready to cast the devil into the eternal lake of fire, he said, I know I can't do this, but I just want to say, Lord, time out. Wait a minute. Can I just kick him one time before you throw him in? I mean, just one time. Can I, can I just kick him? Don't you hate the devil? I hate the devil because of what he does in people's lives. I hate sin. And one day, all things will be made new because of Jesus Christ. And then you have the epilogue at the very end which is some more blessings that are there. There's a trustworthy source. Let me give you the trustworthy source before I give you the benefit. He says, it's a revelation of Jesus Christ. There's the divine author. It was made known by sending his angels to his servant John. Angels are messengers for God, and throughout the Bible, he uses them as envoys to man. There's a natural world and there's a spiritual world that's immaterial. I mean, what's real is not just what you can see or touch. You're having thoughts right now, at least I hope you are. And you can't touch them, but they're real. And God uses an angel. He sent and signified it by his angel to his servant, John. There's a trustworthy message because it's communicated through God's Ministering spirits. Angels carry out God's plans and they're God's messengers. For unbelievers, they're ministers of judgment that you're going to see. The angels will be pouring out the bowls and the wrath. Yet it'll be Jesus' wrath. But for believers, they're used to serve God's people and do His bidding. And that's what you have here, an angel speaking to John. And John is a tested servant. Look, if you would, at verse 2. All right, we already know it's from God. It was through an angel, and it was to his servant John. So what's the purpose of verse 2? The purpose of verse 2 is to give us a testimony about John, that he's not just some nut job in the middle of a cave somewhere on a Greek island. He is a tested servant. He's already borne witness to the Word of God and the testimony of Jesus Christ, and that's why he is in the Isle of, of Patmos. Now, some people argue about whether this is the John the Elder or it's John the Gospel writer. I think these words make it abundantly clear to me. John the Revelator is John the Gospel writer, the writer of 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John, the one who has already bore witness to the Word of God and the testimony of Jesus Christ. And now he's been arrested because he has been faithful and consistent and he's exiled on this island. Have you ever wondered why God allows you to be tested? 
It's not so he can see what you will do, right? (laughs) It's to build maturity, and it's so you and others can see what you'll do. Now, when you're tested, like John is tested here, God will fill you with His grace, and then He'll drain that very grace out in the trial and the testing. He doesn't ever expect you to go through the, the test with your own resources. God will increase the amount of grace in your life, and then He'll drain that grace back out, and in doing so, He'll build spiritual fiber, and that's obviously what He's doing with John here. And John is proven. He's tested. He's tested even where he's at. Uh, Evidenced by where he's at. And that's the point. We're paying attention. We're listening to a man who has persevering miles on his tires. He has the gospel on his lips. He has dirt on his sandals. And John is an exile for Jesus Christ. God chose John to write the final chapter of the Bible after he'd been well tested and found faithful. Your faithfulness has, doesn't determine whether you get into heaven, but it will determine whether God will use you and to the extent in which God will, will use you. Well, that's what we're going to be looking at and how we got it. And now here's why I study it. Why pay attention to the book of Revelation? Well, that's found in verse 3. Look at verse 3. Blessed is he who reads and those who hear the words of this prophecy and keep those things which are written in the book. There's a promised benefit as we approach Revelation. There's a benefit to those who hear it. Hearing the word. I mean, look how he divides this. Blessed is he who reads and those who hear the words of this prophecy. That's the first half. Just reading it and hearing it brings benefit. He, he means knowing ahead of time what's going to happen and what's coming. Remember, Revelation is an unveiling and you'll be blessed by hearing and reading what's going to happen and what God's going to do. And who's Revelation written to? Well, it tells us right there in verse 1 is to show His servants, that's the church. The church is blessed by reading and hearing what God promises to do. And it's an encouragement to the church to stay pure and to persevere. Doesn't it encourage you as the church to know that we've already won? That we're just waiting on the victory lap? (laughs) Doesn't it encourage you to know that there's no power on earth, no dictator, no army that can thwart the eternal plan of God? And His church is victorious? And one day that victorious church will be a church at rest. Revelation is a message to you as Christ's bride that look up, your Redeemer lives, and the meek Lamb of God is coming as the Lion of Judah. It's an encouragement. It's a blessing. It's a reminder also to heed it. We must be faithful until the Lord comes. Look at the second half of this. Blessed is He, in verse 3, who... Here's the words of this prophecy. Hear what God's going to do and encourage you to be pure and to persevere. And look at the second half. And keep those things which were written in it. It says, not only the person who keeps it, but does it. You're blessed not just hearing, but heeding. You know, God's Word is not just for our edification. It's also for our observation. And by observation, I don't mean looking upon it. I mean observing it, doing it. The Bible says we're not to just be hearers, but we're to be 
doers. And those who hear the shepherd speak, obey his voice. John 10, the sheep hears his voice and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. And when he has brought out all of his own, he goes before him and the sheep follow him. For they know his voice. To hear his voice is to obey his voice. And if you approach Revelation for information, you'll never find the ultimate blessing if you stop there. You have to heed the words of his voice. And then the promises and the blessings of the book can all be yours. Promises like the marriage supper of the Lamb. Promises like a new heaven and a new earth. Promises of eternal life in heaven. If you hear and you heed the words of the shepherd, but if you'll not heed them, the other promises of the book will fall upon you. Promises of judgment and wrath that Jesus will pour out on the earth. Promises of the great white throne judgment and what will take place whenever you're there. Look at how he ends this whole thing. Blessed is he who reads and those who hear and who keeps those things which are written in them. Why? For the time is near. The time is near. The time is near. The time is near of Jesus Christ coming. The time may be near whenever you'll enter into eternity before Jesus Christ ever comes. The Bible says you're not promised another breath or another day. Wouldn't it be wonderful to start the book of the Revelation looking forward to what's coming as a child of God rather than hearing what's going to befall you if you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior? Yes, it would be a blessing. Well, you can. You just have to hear and heed. Hear what God says about you and what you probably already know as a sinner. And then heed what God says to do about it. Repent and believe. Look to Jesus Christ and be saved. You'll not find salvation in pulling yourself up by your bootstraps or trying to be a better person. The only one who can make you pure, the only one that can get you to the Father is Jesus Christ. And He is revealed in all of the Bible and revealed in specific ways in the book that we're about to undertake. Don't you bow your heads. Hear the voice of the Savior saying, Come. Come to Me. Come to Me with all of your sin and I will give you rest. Come to Me in all of the the hidden things. I already see them. I already know them. They're unveiled before My eyes. No one else may know about them, but you do, and I do. Come to me, and I will cleanse you. Come to me, I will give you a robe of righteousness. Come to me, and I will wash you from your sins with my own blood. And heed, turn. Turn from your sin and believe. Believe. Believe upon me, Jesus says. Do you know Christ? Do you know the Savior? If you know the Savior, 
Are you living with the end in view? If not, today is the day. Father, we come before you because you've commanded us to. We hear these words and heed these words because the time is near. And we don't even know when that will take place. We just know it's coming and it's near and we are assured. And Father, I just pray. I pray even right now for people that are here this morning that, that, that as I've even read through this book and see what is coming, that they will, that's going to face them, Lord. And in the midst of that judgment, they'll not turn to you. They'll, they'll, they'll curse you, you say. Right now. Today is the day of salvation. The door has been flung open. Today I pray, Lord, that they would come to you, repent and believe. And Father, I pray for us as as believers that we would look forward to this book with great anticipation and that we would remain pure and persevere because you're going to show us really what's going on in the world and all that is promised. Lord, thank you for this book. Help us to be blessed as we hear it and heed it. In Jesus' name, amen.